everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Honestly, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, busy week, though. Oh, yeah? How's your house hunting go overall? So far, so good. Found a realtor that we like, so uh, really knows what he's doing and very detail-oriented, so we think we're in good hands. So at this point, it's just looking at listings and then... Uh, Eventually, we'll go visit some houses. Fantastic. So are you saying the first house you're going to go to, you're going to be like, oh, wow, windows. Huh, I don't think I can afford this place, guys. You like a book. I know. So, Tim, let's start talking about today's episode. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 61, the Mark Stone edition. Now, obviously, we all know who Mark Stone is. He's currently with the Vegas Golden Knights. And he's one of these players that has been a fan favorite for the Ottawa Senators for a very long time. And the one thing that I'm noting right now as I'm looking at my notes is usually for this section of the episode, I usually have the stats pulled up and written down. I failed to do that for Mark Stone. Well, the man goes without introduction. He does. But, you know, I guess the one way we could talk about this is talk about some of our favorite moments of Mark Stone. And I think for you and I, is it safe to say there's one moment in particular that stands out more than others? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. Are you saying it was March 2015 versus the Pittsburgh Penguins at home? Yup. I know. Actually, the one thing I want to comment about Mark Stone is that when I look back on that 2014-2015 year, even though Aaron Ekblad had a beast of a season, Mark Stone got robbed for Rookie of the Year for putting us into the playoffs. Well, just the insane production, like, it was 2.3 goal, 2.3 points per hour for a rookie is, like, that's elite. I know it. That's fucking insane. Oh, it is. And the one thing that I always remember Mark Stone is that the one criticism about Mark was that his skating was not very strong. And I'll be the first to admit, his skating wasn't very strong. And compared to when you see him now, he's actually a pretty strong skater now overall. And his game has improved so much over the past several seasons. Yeah. And, well, part of it is Mark Stone has always been a very, very intelligent player. And he uses that definitely to his advantage. And the one thing that is always noted about Mark Stone, and I think us Ottawa Senators fans definitely got really used to, is uh, just how good he was of stripping opponents of the puck. Because mm-hmm, I know for several seasons he led the league in takeaways. Well, the other thing is he's just so good at suppressing suppressing shots. Well, even you could look at last season for the amount of games he actually played for the Ottawa Senators. The one thing I note is that, and you could probably go back to season two with some of the game notes that we were talking about, when they paired him with Brady to Chuck and Colin White, the one thing I noticed is that while Colin was definitely the setup man, all Mark had to do was strip the puck and throw it to Brady, and he would score. Mm, but at the same time. Mark Stone's so good at finding space. And, like, even that, like, the overtime goal that we were talking about earlier, that was just evidence of that. So let's talk about next week's poll, because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 8, in chronological order, Episode 62. We are not going to be doing a poll for the next several weeks, because we only have one player for Episodes 62, 63, 64, and topping, with 65. Episode 62 will be the Eric Griba edition. 
of the Third Line Plug Sunscast. That guy's playing in a beer league in Saskatchewan now, hey? Is he? Yeah. Can we just say right now that our favorite Eric Ryba moment was the picture of him on Twitter at the wedding in cowboy boots and jeans? Yeah. Although it's a shame that his most noted moment will probably be the the it was the Lars Eller hit. That is wow. That's going back a few years now. Actually, I kind of forgot about that hit. Well, it was really contentious at the time, especially the way that uh, the Paulus handled it. Oh yeah, what was it? The Sun or the Citizen had the picture of Eller laying on the ice, bloodied. Yeah. And all Paul McLean said was it was a clean hit. Yeah, and look where he is now. Uh, he's an assistant somewhere, right? I think so. I think he's with Pittsburgh. I want to say. Can't yeah, quote me on that. He's somewhere right. about that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about our week, Tim, because I know that you were talking about you and Chelsea were doing some house hunting, and I actually had a pretty busy week overall at work because Tuesday and Wednesday we had some people that weren't either at work due to dentist appointments or sickness or whatever. So I had to put in some OT this week. But despite that, I actually got a chance to watch majority of the games this week. And the one note I will make of game number four we're going to be talking about, I am so glad my coworker was not at work that day because he is a noted Buffalo Sabres fan. Yeah, and now that Jack Eichel is finally playing to what people were hoping, that's got uh, to be hard. It is hard. It is hard. But you know what, though? Once we get talking about those games, we'll definitely explain why. Mm-hmm. One thing I actually did want to talk about with uh, Mark Stone is I'm surprised he's don't think he's ever actually won a selkie which is kind of surprising has he been nominated for one even he has but yeah he's never won wow that that is crazy he hasn't won one has he no i think he's come second before i know just think of a lot of the ottawa senators in the past that have come second in those awards right now obviously there's the exceptions like daniel lockerson winning rookie of the year eric carlson winning two norris trophies but, yeah, it's weird like, to say that Mark Stone came runner-up for the best offensive forward. Yeah, he got beat by Ryan O'Reilly in 2018-2019. Yeah, actually, that's fair. That, that's a fair assessment because he was a big part of the St. Louis Blues down the Cup victory. Yeah, and spent half his year on Ottawa. Sorry, and Mark Stone spent most of the year in freaking Ottawa. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely a selkie in his career. Oh, well, now that he's with the Vegas Golden Knights, he's going to win several of them, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about last week's episode, because last week's episode, obviously, was the Snoop Dio Double Paggio episode. One thing I got a comment about the episode overall, on my end, and I know it didn't really come out that way when you really listened to the episode, but the first half of the episode, right up until we talked about the games, it just sounded like I was kind of rambling about nothing. In a I didn't weird really way. get that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just for me. It just sounded like really loose, not... The control wasn't there. It was just not solid. The control wasn't there. I was stumbling to find words. And I know, I can't remember what story it was last week I talked about. And it sounded like I was Don Cherry just butchering the English language. Well, at least we don't have to deal with Don Cherry butchering the English language anymore. Yeah, that's true. Now, yeah, what... I thought... Good. Yeah, and... 
that was a we had to talk about that story last week too. Jesus Christ. That's true. Now, just so everybody knows about the Don Cherry firing from last week's episode, no, Tim and I are not going to be commenting on the backlash and the public outrage and outcry about his dismissal, given that it's very polarizing. You get the people that say, well, Don Cherry's been doing this for years, but there's also people that you and I agree with is that, well, it's different because he targeted a specific group of people with his comments. And honestly, at this point, all we're going to do is stir the pot a little more. We're not actually going to add all that much to the discussion. So what's the point of really touching it anymore? Exactly. Yeah. So we're not going to comment on the outrage or, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. The lady from the social who made the comment about hockey players. We're not going to comment on that, but we are going to do one thing, Tim, today. And we've been doing it for the past 61 episodes. We are going to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, even though we're not going to start this episode off with a death, we are going to start it off by giving a shout-out to Calgary Flames defenseman TJ Brody because he suffered a seizure during the team's practice on Thursday. Now, Brody was stretchered out of the saddle, dome, conscious and alert. And from what I understand, he's going to make a full recovery. That's got to be so scary, though. Holy shit. It is. And I mean, and I was thinking about this. It's so rare that that stuff happens in practice, right? I mean, even the rare exceptions when it happens in games. You can think about when Yuri Fisher had his heart problem on the bench or when Vern, I think it was Vern Fiddler, died on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, was, was that the guy that I'm thinking of in Dallas? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's very, very scary, and we just want to give a shout-out to TJ Brody. And Tim, given that he's in Calgary, maybe we can uh, hook him up with a fruit basket. Yeah. We never got one for Curtis. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Speaking of the Dallas Stars, Dallas Stars have announced that they will retire Sergei Zuboff's number 56 in the 2020-21 season. Zuboff, drafted 85th overall by the New York Rangers in 1990, played 12 of his 16 NHL seasons with the Stars, recording 111 goals, 442 assists for 553 points in 839 games. Now, it's funny when you talk about the 1999 Dallas Stars that won the Stanley Cup because... The obvious ex- names that come out of that is Mike Medano, Brett Hall, Joe Newendike, and Ed Belfort. And I find that Sergei Zuboff is kind of forgotten about on that team, given that he was a big piece of that Stanley Cup championship team. I think the hard thing is, is like, it was impressive, but at the same time, the numbers just aren't the same as like Mike Medano and those guys. Like 13 points in 23 playoff games, 51 points in 83 regular season games. Solid player, depth, like huge part of the of the team, but yeah, it's it does pale in comparison. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, and this is something that can also be said about Brett Hall when he joined the Dallas Stars, is that Sergey Zuboff was a very offensive minded player before coming to Dallas. And when he arrived in Dallas, he was willing to take on a more defensive role with the team, given that that was the style that. Ken Hitchcock ran one and the fact that you look at Brett Hall who came from scoring 60 70 goals every season to now 25 26 goals a season but he's winning championships and going to the Stanley Cup finals every year mm-hmm. well at the same time it's Brett Hall had 32 goals and 26 assists that year which is honestly pretty impressive for he was at basically a point per game 
pace because he only played 60, 60 full games. But then Mike Madonna's 81 points in 77 games kind of ran away with the attention for that. But then again, like, it's weird, though. I think it's also Zubov's a defenseman. And unless it's, like, Eric Carlson tier, I find that defensemen kind of get the short end of the stick in recognition. Mm, even Nicholas Lidstrom, right? Because yeah. even though Lidstrom played on a Red Wings team that was loaded with talent, everybody can still recognize the talent and how good of a defenseman he really was. Mm. Yeah, and I think Lidstrom is the exception, not the rule. Sticking with the Southern teams, Arizona Coyotes have signed GM John Chaka to a long-term contract extension. Terms of the deal were not disclosed when announced on Monday. Chaka joined the Coyotes as their GM in 2016 after being part of an analytics company, Stathelids. Now, one thing I can say about John Chaka is that even though at the time he was the youngest general manager in the NHL, the turnover and the progression the Coyotes have made since he's arrived has been absolutely night and day because the Coyotes were this just laughable franchise that really had nobody. They were just destroying all the prospects they had from Anthony Duclair, Max Domi, to whoever. And now you look at the Coyotes now. They, they brought in Antti Rotna. They brought in Phil Kessel. They brought in these players that solidified that team that's now pushing for a playoff position in the NHL. Well, the other thing is like a lot of the trades that he made that were questionable last year or two years ago are starting to look a lot better. Like, the Derek Stepan trade is looking really good. If Yarmelson was ever healthy, th- that team would be just the hardest team to play against defensively in the league. The Panic trade looked really suspect last year, but Richard Panic has been working out very well, and Strom's been working out pretty good in Chicago too, but I think a lot of people are surprised at how good Panic has been. So I think John Chaika's stock has gone up a lot in the last, even the last six months. Yeah, because even making that move for Phil Kessel to bring some more offensive talent to the team seems to be paying off for them in spades. Oh, yeah, and honestly, I'm surprised he managed to get uh, Kessel for Galchenyuk. Yeah, but it's not just the trades, but it's also the drafting of these players, like the Clayton Kellers and players like that he's drafted but developed into stars on the Coyotes, which has been fantastic for them. Yeah, well, the other thing is the Darcy Kemper pickup also paid for freaking dividends and no one saw that coming he's it's almost the it's like the when minnesota picked up devin dubnik because mm-hmm. i know even when he re-signed kemper earlier this season you and i both said that we were kind of suspect about the signing at that cap hit but then you re- remember that auntie Rodna once again went down so it looks really good too yeah, like Darcy Kemper, I think at this point, you can't just say the dude's going on a heater if he's done it for two seasons. Sticking with the Southern teams, and you know, looking at top of the air right now, I'm just noticing the four big stories, they are all Southern teams, except for the last one, because that was in Ohio. But we're going to talk about this story. The Florida Panthers have hired former goalie Roberto Luongo to serve as a special advisor to GM Dale Talon. Luongo spent ten and a half seasons with the Florida Panthers, over two stints. Now, the one comment I will make about this is that there has been no official reports on whether he got this job because he took out Jamie McLennan with a TV camera. (laughs) Which is fair, given that Noodles ran him over with a Zamboni. (laughs) I'm really happy for Luongo here, but I'm not going to lie. I was really hoping for a Luongo media career because... 
man, he's fantastic in that position. Yeah, and that was the one thing. Like, if you remember in 2014 when Roberto Luongo kind of had that spot with TSN during the playoffs, and there was a lot of people on Twitter that were talking about, wow, like maybe Roberto should go into broadcasting because he just seems like he has that kind of personality that translates well into television and onto radio. Yeah, there's like a charm in both, like the way he presents himself and the his self-depreciation is actually really funny. Because like a self-depreciating humor, it's really hit or miss. Because sometimes it just comes out looking, you come out looking like a downer. But with Luongo, it's really fucking funny. Like, uh, and like, his Twitter game can't be beat. Okay, did you see that picture the other day that he posted? Somebody wanted to uh, get him to send some fan mail, but he sent a picture of Carey Price instead. <laughs> so he basically just signed it, this is Carey Price. <laughs> That's too good. I know. I gotta say, man, Strombone, he's a really great guy to follow on Twitter. Yeah, and honestly, I'm not surprised that he's sticking around Florida. They, tr- they treated him really well there. They did, but also the media coverage was not as heavy Ridiculous. or as critical as it was on him with the Canucks. Yeah. Um, although I'll never forget the time he had to poop in a playoff game. Well, you know, Tim, sometimes when you gotta go, you gotta go. Gotta go. So let's close out top of the hour with a Ottawa Senators-related story. Columbus Blue Jackets forward Nick Foligno was suspended three games for elbowing Avalanche forward Pierre Eduardo Bellamar. Foligno was assessed a major penalty and a game misconduct for charging on the play, as well as having to forfeit $88,709 and, you can't forget this, Tim, 67 cents. Now, I know Nick Foligno is, when we did our top five favorite players I know that you put him in your current players, and when I saw the story, I'm thinking, I know Tim's going to have some stuff to say about this suspension. Yeah, it's deserved. It was late. He could have stopped. He didn't have to raise the elbow. Mm-hmm. And actually, the one hit that I, when I was looking at this, the one hit that I'm always reminded of is, if you remember about 15 years ago, the Steve Moore hit on Marcus Naslin. That's what it reminded me a lot of. Yeah, it was a bad hit. It was, and Nick was Nick was never like this in Ottawa. Nick was a solid player, you know. Yeah, he would get up in people's faces and in the crease like Brady Tuchuk does now, but he was never a dirty player, and he was never somebody to cause controversy. So I'm really surprised that he's landed himself a suspension, and we'll talk yeah. about that on top of the air. Well, the hard thing, though, is, like, his season isn't going well. Like, it's seven points in almost 20 games now. So I can see him playing with a bit more edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his only goal has come out on the power play. It's It's been rough for Nick. And still doesn't really excuse that type of play, though. No, it doesn't. But also, you look at the turnover the Blue Jackets have had this offseason when they ended up losing Bobrovsky, Duchesne, Dezingle, and a couple of other pieces. But still, that doesn't excuse the fact that Nick Foligno, who is a leader on that team, purposely went out and did this. On a yeah. defenseless player. Yeah, no, it's it's shitty. That suspension is deserved. 
So, Tim, that wraps up Top of the Hour for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to talk about the games. Now, we got four games to talk about. We've got the Sens versus the Hurricanes, Sens versus the Devils, Flyers versus the Senators, and the Sens versus Jack Eichel. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Senators versus the Hurricanes. This is an 8-2 Hurricanes victory. Sens goals were scored by Colin White and Brady DeChuck. Hurricanes goals were scored by Sebastian Ahu with two, Warren Fogel, Martin Neckes, Hayden Fleury, and Dougie Hamilton. Shots were 43-29 for the Hurricanes. Warren Fogel opened the scoring for Carolina after his shot squeaks through Craig Anderson. Bobby Ryan and Brock McGinn have a scrap, which Ryan wins. Martin Neckes scores on the power play to make it 2-0. Sebastian Ajo steals a puck from Dylan DeMello and scores on a breakaway to make it 3-0 Canes. Hayden Fleury scores on the Brasham deflection to make it 4-0, which would get Anders Nielsen pulled in favor of Anderson. Dougie Hamilton scores to make it 5-0. Colin White finally breaks the shutout to make it 5-1. Sebastian Ajo gets a second of the night to make it 6-1. Brady DeChuck bangs home the puck to make it 6-2. Ryan Dezingle scores to make it 7-2. And Joel Edmondson scores to make it 8-2 Canes, which would be the final. So, as usual, Tim, I had to condense watch this game. But you know what? I can honestly just sum this game up in one clip. One single clip. And it's a fan favorite. So, Tim, are you ready to go on and talk about the second game of the evening? Yeah, I've got nothing to say about this game other than the Pajot line fell to earth. Sens versus Devils. This is a 4-2 Senators victory. Sens scored to score by Jean-Gabriel Pajot with a hattie and Mark Borvieski. Devils scored to score by Wayne Simmons and Will Butcher. Shots were 24-23 for Ottawa. A fairly even game overall. New Jersey started off outplaying Ottawa in this game. However, the tables began to turn in the second period as Ottawa got their game really going as they began outplaying the Devils to secure the W. Now, this is a weird game. Let's like talk really about... Like you have that very strong New Jersey momentum at the front, and then it kind of disappears, and then New Jersey's really bad goaltending does the rest. But you know what was really great in this game, Tim? The man of the hour, who's too sweet to be sour, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Three goals on three shots. That's right. Eat your fucking heart out, Jack Eichel. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and what's funny is that in the after-game interview, uh, a few people asked Pajot uh, how it was to have his first career hat trick, and he kind of blinked at them. Because Pajot has had... Three career hat tricks now. Somehow, this is his first in the regular season. That's amazing. I never even really thought about that because I thought, yeah, Jean Gabriel Pajot has scored hat tricks in the past, but they were all in the playoffs. Obviously, we remember the one in 2013 versus Montreal and his first game. The first, and actually, the four goal game versus the New York Rangers in 2017. And I want to share a little story about that because I was working that day. We had a rowing regatta at work that weekend. And so I was stuck at work and I'm thinking, that's just fucking bullshit. I'm kind of late for work already. The Sens are losing, whatever. And I'm kind of following. And next thing I know, game is tied at 5-5. I'm like, oh my fuck. Are we really going to come back and we do this? 
And I kind of took a peek at the at the score, and that's when Paggio scored the fourth to win it in overtime. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, same same day. And it's funny because I remember we talked about this in uh, one of our practice episodes. Oh, and, my God. Uh, I remember I brought that clip in. The uh, scores! They did it! And that was, that was me. I was like, this is amazing. I remember uh, because Chelsea and I went to grab some fabric because uh, we're making some costumes to go down to Seattle. And the dudes drove by in a truck and they're like, Alfred's in socks! In Seattle? Pardon? In Seattle or in Calgary? No, we were in Calgary. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's hilarious if it's in Seattle. And I checked the phone and it's like, oh, this isn't going well. I checked the phone and it's like, oh, this is going better. And I got home and it was overtime. Like, watching this. And casual goes coast to coast and just lots of beauty. I'm like, this is what we're doing. Yeah, it's a shame I didn't get to watch this game because, again, it was uh, real estate stuff. But what the hell is going on in New Jersey? I don't know. This is really weird because, and I've said in the past, but my cousin's a diehard Devils fan. But the one thing I noted, and I was talking to him, I said, you know what? Jersey seemed pretty solid on both sides of the puck, both offensively and defensive. But it was their goaltending that I had the big question is like, okay, who's really going to step up and be the guy? Because Schneider wasn't doing it, obviously coming back from an injury. They didn't really have anybody in the pipeline that could do it. So that was the big question. And then you saw how slow the devil started. And it's like, what the fuck is going on in New Jersey? Yeah, and it's Corey Schneider is played six games with a .852. And Mackenzie Blackwood is average, not great. Well, Corey Schneider's just been bad. So I have a couple of notes I want to make here. Obviously, Craig Anderson, 21 saves at .913 save percentage. Didn't see much action in this game, but overall did his job. The one line for me that really looked solid, the Tuchuk, White, and Duclair line. And I know that before the season, this was a line that I was really pumping for the Senators to put together because you saw that Anthony Duclair, coast to coast, he's a big guy. Try and take him down. He's strong on his skates, he's strong with the puck, and he's a tough guy to bring down. Another thing that I liked, the Thomas Shabbat Dylan DeMello pair came back. And they killed it. Oh, they didn't show up absolutely did. They didn't show up on the score sheet, but Dylan DeMello was at 70% control, 75% shot share. Thomas Shabbat was at 75 and Nikita Zaitsev was in the fucking gutter. So I know. Like, I, I don't know. I really don't know why DJ Smith doesn't just put DeMello and Shabbat back together. Uh, I think it would be just the Borbietsky-Zaitsev pairing is, it's spooky shit. Because as much as I'm not sure who's better, Zaitsev or Cody Cece, they're still bad. I'm going to say Zaitsev just because Zaitsev, who really, all things considered, has really not played all that badly, in fairness. But I think because when he makes a mistake, it's not as obvious and not as noticeable as when Cody Cece would make a mistake. It's like Cody Cece's mistakes. Well, the weird thing is all of Cody Cece's mistakes are catastrophic. And if we want to talk about the Leafs meltdown at the end on Saturday, we can. Honestly, the only comment I have of that game was, I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, um, they were going into a commercial break and you see this couple sitting there taking a selfie and the guy's smiling. 
she finally takes it, and you just see the guy's face go, ugh. Ugh. Yeah, pretty much. What was amazing is just the amount of Twitter dunking going on during that game. And Money Puck's model has the Leafs making the playoffs at 30%. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know what... I can't remember which game it was. I can't remember if it was either the Devils or the Flyers game that we played. That somebody on Twitter put up the Ottawa Senators were five points behind the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. And then the other thing that I've seen put up is... Please don't take our draft pick. Because the Leafs and the Senators have actually lost the same amount of games. It's just Toronto's won, lost three more in overtime. Yeah, maybe this is why that Pierre Dorian is going to accumulate all of the first-round picks. Kind of like if you remember in The Simpsons when um, they had the big lottery of like, what was it, like 100-something million dollars, and Homer's like, hey, Marge, I got something to tell you. We are going to win the lottery. And he's like, Homer, it's like one in 350 million. Correction. 350 million to 50. He has like the 50 tickets. <laughs> That's what I imagine like Pierre Dorian like getting all the fucking draft picks. And because I just know come April, if we end up losing the draft, I am going to probably play that clip of him and Homer and Grandpa. And Grandpa's just like, oh, I knew we weren't going to win. Well, why didn't you tell us? Why did you keep it a secret? Yeah, and then San Jose has been getting it going a bit better as of late. So there goes our dream. It's okay, though. We could still get another first-round picks from somebody. Yeah, true. Uh, I wonder if we could snake it out of... Well, the other thing, though, is like that Western Conference is so close. Who knows what'll happen? Like, if Vegas gets it going and Chicago somehow pulls something out of their ass, San Jose Sharks could just back in the basement again. Yeah. But then again, they're only one point behind Toronto. So Tim, I don't have any more more I don't have any more comments to make of this game if you want to head into the third game of the evening. Uh sure. Okay. Are we gonna need some sleeping pills? Well, definitely not sleeping pills. But we're definitely gonna need a um Oh god, what what is that um what's that thingy you put on your face along your eyes when you're trying to sleep? A sleeping mask? A sleeping mask, yeah. We might need one of those and a little cap and a you know, some PJs. Flyers versus Senators. This is a 2-1 Senators victory. Flyers goals are scored by Tyler Pitlick. Senators goals were scored by Tyler Ennis and Philip Shalopik. Shots were 27-19 for the Flyers. A fairly even game overall. Philly started off dominating the Ottawa Senators, applying heavy pressure to their defense as they began making turnovers and other mistakes. The Flyers took their foot off the gas as Ottawa's play became more solid and secured the W. This was an absolute snorefest. This is easily the most uninteresting game I have watched the Ottawa Senators play all season long. Yeah, it looks like it. Like the shot total was twenty-seven to nineteen. What the fuck is that? Could say I'm glad I missed it, which is a shame because like Ottawa versus Philly games used to be good. The Senators' uh, pre-game blog post for this one was just a history of fights, including Jason Spezza with thirty-five penalty minutes in a single game. So it's like, what happened, man? I know. The hate? Like Where's remember, the brotherly love? well, think about it. Remember the the big brawl they had on back in two thousand and four in March. Yeah, that was sick. You know what? Ha that happened on my twelfth birthday, March fifth. Man, I wish I got I could have hockey things happen on my birthday. I know, but I mean, 
the things that happened on my birthday over the last couple of years is that we end up either losing or we end up beating the Islanders always on my birthday. I love how it's specifically the Islanders. It is always the Islanders on my birthday. The last couple of years, it's either the day before or day after my birthday is when we end up playing the Islanders. And it's always, always at home, except for last year. That's so, that's freaking weird, dude. I know. But, even though this game is an absolute snore fest, I do have a couple of really positive comments to make. Anders Nielsen, 26 saves, a .963 save percentage. I thought he played really well in this game. Now, despite the fact that there were a number of really close calls for both teams when it came to goals, because the Flyers ended up missing a couple of shots that either hit the post or hit the side of the net or they missed completely. But the one that I really noted is Bobby Ryan. He missed a shot in this game, very similar to the goal he scored in Game 6 versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like he had a full net or? Oh, yeah. He had a full net, wide open too. Like Carter Hart came across and he took a slot. And it was just one of those things where he kind of turned his body and he swung it. He connected, but he hit the side of the net. And you can see Bobby throw his head back like, oh, for fuck's sakes, I can't believe I missed that. It's just, a, it's just the sort of uh, season he's been having though, hey? Yeah, which is funny because if you remember at the very beginning of the season, like that was the one thing we were complimenting him on is that – it seemed like he got his game going. It looked like he had some energy. And then DJ Smith scratched him. And it didn't really seem like he's been able... There's glimpses of his really positive play. But overall, it seems like he's just sort of stopped. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But uh, this is a, another weird game where it's uh, the shot total looks kind of lopsided. But the teams actually had a 50-50 shot attempt split. It's just Ottawa couldn't hit the fucking broadside of a barn. Yeah, it was just one of those things, man. Like, Actually, I want to comment about DJ Smith real quick because I was saying this on Twitter because guys like Miguel Bacher, who DJ Smith fucking does not like at all. He has not played him at all this season. Uh, Bobby Ryan has been in there. Uh, Gulabeff has been scratched. Do we call this Smitty's Doghouse or Smitty's Shit List? Smitty's Shit List. Why don't we just call it Smitty's? That gives you all the connotation you need without the extra words. Like, have you been to a Smitty's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, their food's not that good. It's not good. Actually, I don't even know the last time I've been to a Smitty's. I might have to drag Chelsea to one just so we can confirm that it is entirely mediocre. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Chelsea, she just commented on... She just sent us a tweet uh, about a Boston Bruins commercial we may or may not have to check out one day. There's a Boston Bruins commercial? Yeah, there was a Bruins one of... This was years ago. I totally forgot about this. So thank you, Chelsea, for <laughs> sending me this. And it was the NHL's Boston Bruins Bruins Hockey Rule commercial. And it was uh, of the guy in a Bruins jersey dating the chick in the Hab jersey. And the Bruins mascot saw that. Right. And he's just like, but she's so pretty. And he fucking knocks the beers out of his hand. It is amazing. But that also just goes to show you how boring this fucking game is. It is, but at least for us, we tried to make this game a little bit entertaining. And speaking of Twitter, we actually made a Twitter bet with fellow podcaster Brotherly Pot, who's also on the National Podcast Network. Now, as you may recall, Tim, I made a bet 
or actually me and our bot Dave made a bet a few years ago on the Oilers Sens game where the loser had to tweet something nice about the winning team on Twitter. And as you know, Dave will never bet with me again because as he put it, that man has no fucking soul. Yeah. So what nice things did we have to say? Well, we're not the ones that had to say something nice, but Mr. Daniel Esch of the Brotherly Pod and the founder of the National Podcast Network, he followed through on the bet. And because the bet was that if Ottawa won, Brotherly Pod had to say something nice about the Ottawa Senators and us being vice versa. Esch made good on it with a video on Twitter where he wore a Dominic Kosick jersey Tags and all, by the way, and I thought that was kind of a jab at us because, you know, how Hasek's time in Ottawa ended. But I do want to comment because he said at the end of the video, there will be a rematch in three weeks. I just want to say, I think I can speak for both of us, Tim. Daniel, we accept your challenge. And yes, we will also honor our commitment if the Philadelphia Flyers beat the Ottawa Senators in three weeks. We will also say something nice about the Philadelphia Flyers. That's awesome. We'll yeah. have to do a bet amongst ourselves one of these days. Remember when we had to say something nice about the Habs? Ugh, yeah, I'm the one that ended up having to fucking say it. Yeah. Country music. Yeah, the last fucking time I ever fucking bet on Japan droids. <laughs> I don't even know why you thought it would be anything but country. Because I thought that maybe the Flames DJ would actually pull for me. But nope, he had to fuck me, so... <sighs> it was a good hot dog. Tim, do you want to, want to talk about the fourth and final game of the evening? Hell yeah. Okay. Sens versus Save. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Let me just correct that. Sens versus Jack Eichel. This is a 4-2 Jack Eichel victory. Sens goals are scored by Anthony DeClaire and Tyler Ennis. Jack Eichel goals were scored by Jack Eichel with four. Shots were 31-23 for Buffalo. A somewhat even... <laughs> Will you stop laughing? I'm trying to be serious here, man. No, I'm, I'm really glad you decided to go with the Jack Eichel scores goal scored by Jack Eichel. That just really iced the cake. Thank you. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams started up playing well and getting scoring chances. Buffalo at first were getting the upper hand, applying a strong offensive attack with solid defense. As the game went on, Ottawa continued to improve as they went from being outplayed to being on an even playing level. However, it wasn't enough as Jack Eichel secured Buffalo the W. Okay, let's talk about it. Jack Eichel, four goals on five shots. Let's just go ahead and say it. He is the reason Buffalo won this game. Yeah, because like every time Ottawa was getting like good, long, sustained looks and they couldn't put it in, Jack Eichel was there to punish them for it. Like, I think that the Senators, like, the Senators roundly outplayed the Sabres after that first period. And, like, the Sabres really poured it on that first period, and it was uh, really impressive that they were able to, like, Anderson stood tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, I honestly thought the Sens looked really good. One line that I wasn't too happy with, I wasn't really happy with the Pajot line this game. No, and you know what's funny? That was like one of the few lines in this game that I actually wasn't very happy with. The two lines I were happy with, obviously the starting lineup of Tuchuk, Brown, and DeClaire, but the Nemestikov, Colin White, and Tyler Annis line, 
I thought played a really strong game against yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, they they were really good at forechecking, great at moving the puck around, and uh, they sustained zone time really well. I thought they played. You're right, they played really well, and uh, Logan Brown wasn't great on the shot clock, but man, he could move the puck. Yeah, and that was the one thing, and talking about Tyler Ennis, is that I've been very happy with his production so far this season, even though it may not show it on the score sheet. The one thing I like about him is that he's willing to get in front of the net. He is always willing to get in the right position to get a one-timer off or try and get a shot off, and I was really happy with him. And actually, one guy, somebody who I haven't really complimented a lot this season is Thomas Shabbat, and I thought Thomas Shabbat looked pretty strong in this game overall. Yeah, it's a shame he was on the ice for three of the goals against, but Eichel does what Eichel does. But yeah, honestly, I thought Thomas Shabbat looked pretty good. I felt that he kind of got dragged down by Nikita Zaitsev again. He did, but the one thing is that Thomas Shabbat looked like he found that extra gear, and he looked like he looked pretty confident with the puck going end-to-end, even if the puck didn't always go with him. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that. Um, Brandt, I actually like Brandstrom. Yeah, Branstrom actually played a strong game in this one. And that was the one thing, even a few weeks ago when I commented about Eric Branstrom, is that I specifically watched him every time he was on the ice to see if, coming into this episode, if I can actually justify what I said, right? And one thing I will comment, and I I just finished listening to the new Sense Call-Ups episode, is Cardinal commented about Branstrom's play, and he says that he feels Brasham should be put back in the A when uh, I believe it was LeJoie or wouldn't be Willana. I think it was LeJoie. LeJoie could be called up. He can go back down because he looks overwhelmed, but he looks like his workload is a little too heavy on him. And I do agree with that to a certain extent because, as he put it, he doesn't want Branstrom to be Cody CeCe'd. But I know that you and I have commented about it, so we're not going to really go any further with that. But I will make the one comment about Craig Anderson, and you mentioned this, 28 saves, a .903 save percentage. Despite Eichel's four-goal game, he really played well against the Buffalo Sabres. Well, the big one is he held out for most of that first period. Especially when Buffalo was really pouring on between those two power plays. Mm-hmm. And even the Eichel goals against him, there was nothing he could do on that. Like, that shot just went like a fucking laser towards him. Yeah, and like, he was just shooting at will, even when, like, like, I remember his third goal when Shabbat, Shabbat had him well covered. He just shot the fucker anyway. Yep. Like, I don't blame Shabbat for that goal. Shabbat's where he was supposed to be. Shabbat's got the man covered, and Andy had the sight lane. Sometimes, there's just nothing you can do. Everyone was doing everything right on that play, and Eichel still just broke the game. So the final comment I do want to make, and I actually wrote this in my note about Jack Eichel, is, you know, last week that I commented that I can't remember if it was Alex or one of the other DJs played Let Me Clear My Throat by DJ Cool? Yeah. I'm so fucking sick of hearing that song now after watching the Buffalo game because that they use that as the goal song and they played that four times. I was like, ugh, God, I like that song, but please stop. It's already dead. It's already dead. However, it's not like what the Leafs go on, you know, making my dreams come true, which I hated that fucking song anyway, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But I really like Let Me Clear My Throat by DJ Cool. Yeah. You know what? I was never a fan of Sweet Caroline, to be honest. 
What about Gloria? Not a big fan either. Yeah, I know it doesn't really do anything. Like Sweet Caroline, okay, I can understand. Gloria does nothing for me. Yeah, it's like Sweet Caroline. It's like one of those songs that gets made fun of for getting white people turned. I don't get it. It's true, man. But I mean, it's either that or they play "Get Low" by Little John. Yeah. You know what is a, a song that gets made fun of for getting white people turned, but actually does do a good job of it? Better Alive by Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, that was true. Like, I don't know if you remember, I think it was a few weeks ago, somebody caught Ken Danico, who's a commentator from the New Jersey Devils, singing Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi during the game. Nice. Yeah, yeah like, Bon Jovi's really good at getting people turned. Well, that's true. I mean, it's not one of my favorite Bon Jovi tunes. I actually don't even know what my favorite Bon Jovi is. I don't know. The only thing I know of is that the local rock station here, they did their Under the Covers weekend, and they played Smoking in the Boys' Room by Motley Crue, which was a uh, Brownsville Station song. And the one yeah. thing that I really note is that, you know how Motley Crue had Home Sweet Home, and it was like the power ballad to end all power ballads? Mm-hmm. Not one fucking band ever made a power ballad that was as good as that. Yeah, there the was only like one I think that kind of comes close is "Here I Come Again" by Whitesnake. Yeah, that's the only one because you know I think of it like kind of like a theme song for myself because like a drifter, I too was born to walk alone, Tim. Whoa, I know. Although Whoa. in fairness, for the longest time, I thought it was like a twister. I was born to walk alone, and I said to my coworker, I said, "You know, that's fucking stupid. A twister can't walk alone." Yeah, it usually walks with a bunch of cows in its maw. It's true. Actually, yes. you know what? Every Rose has its thorn, but Poison, it's an okay song overall as a power ballad, but, you know, it's not as good as Home Sweet Home. Because Home Sweet Home at least has, like, you know, like, the build-up with the piano, and then, like, the big fuck-off guitar solo at the end. What about Mama, I'm Coming Home by Ozzy? Ooh, that's a good one, yeah. Mama, I'm Coming Home. Actually, do you know that Lemmy from Motorhead actually had a hand in writing that song? You know it shows. That's true, because, you know... When you think of deep, powerful lyrics, you think of Lemmy. Yeah, they really don't write power ballads anymore, do they? No, they really don't. I mean, I don't know how you could ever write a power ballad nowadays. Yeah, just a me- well, I guess it's like rock music's really out right now. So that definitely doesn't help. It is, but you know what, and actually somebody on YouTube made a comment about this, is that the reason why that rock music is not as popular anymore is because a lot of guys in rock bands don't want to be rock stars anymore. That's where a lot of hip-hop artists are now. Hip-hop artists have replaced that, being rock stars and having the big productions. Um, Because I think it was, who the fuck was it? I just just happened to see his thingy on Netflix. Uh, Travis Scott. Travis Scott is like this big, big rap guy. Couldn't honestly tell you any songs he actually did, but, you know, apparently he's, like, big and stuff, and he does these big productions. But even the EDM artists, like um, Avicii when he was alive, Dead Mouse used to do all that stuff, Swedish House Mafia used to do stuff like that. But, yeah, rock Ego bands don't... That, yeah. yeah, rock bands don't do that anymore, man. Which is weird, because, like, some of those bands, like, you 2 are still active. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, the exceptions to the rock bands that are do that, like... Uh, five finger disc no it's not five finger discount um 
Five Finger Death Punch and Nickelback. Like, they still do stuff like that. And they're, like, two of the most hated bands in rock music today. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I wonder if it's also that rock, like, rock is just not as popular as, say, modern R&B and electropop. So they just don't get the money to do fuck off cool shit anymore. Yeah, that's true. Because a lot of the big, those big concerts, they're, they're still done by like U2 and Bon Jovi. But these bands have been around for like 35, 40 years, right? So obviously they have the established fan base and you know exactly what you're getting yourself into with those yeah. bands. Yeah, and like Paul McCartney's still filling stadiums too. And look at look at Metallica. Metallica's selling out these big like football stadiums now. I don't fucking get it. I get it. Like I get why people go see Metallica. I've never Metallica been. Sucks. I don't see, get it. See, Tim, you've just pissed off a lot of metalheads by saying that. Although I will say, like I'm not a big Metallica guy, but I think Kill 'Em All is a great record. Oh no, I said New Metallica sucks. Oh yeah, New Metallica is awful. Actually, yeah, that's not so true. They have a couple of okay songs, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. I've never been a big Metallica fan anyway. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, there hasn't really been a lot of innovation in rock since, I guess, like, indie rock in, like, 2010s. And then just, the, I guess the last real innovation that kind of hit mainstream was uh, Imagine Dragons doing their whatever it is they do. Their one song thing. Yeah, yeah and it's just kind of wrecked the genre for a bit yeah but there's been some really good younger rock bands coming out now like dorothy's been really good greta van fleet greta van fleet's very polarizing to a lot of people but you know they're okay for what they are uh royal blood has been a band i've been really into and you look at canada canada's been producing a lot of really good rock bands most notably the arkells have been a really big band japan droids i'm a big fan of so obviously Rock is still light, but I think in the public consciousness, it's not as popular anymore because it has been overtaken by hip-hop and electronic ox. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because I've definitely, and I, like, even I've kind of been like that because, like, yeah, definitely middle school, high school, like, a, like a lot of my music was uh, rock, rock and power metal, but now I'm almost exclusively electronic. Yeah, and it's all about... Uh, personal taste right and i mean you obviously remember me back in the day like i was way into like fucking everything mr kmfdm mr kmfdm ministry nine inch nails ramstein actually to close out this episode i'm going to say something very controversial here tim that oh, not dear. everybody's going to agree with i never thought in the year where i would get a new tool album and a new ramstein album i would like the ramstein album better really yeah like Fear and Column is a it's a good record, but I find that I really don't like it as much as I like the other ones. Like uh, Tempest, I think is great, but Tempest is like fifteen minutes long. That's a pretty big commitment. Like at least with with Tool's older stuff, like yeah, it was long, but they found the very the balance between the hard riffing and the more technical stuff. I don't think the new record really has that. The new record has a lot of the technical stuff, but not the hard riffing stuff. And it reminds me a lot of when Rush did Hemispheres. Hemispheres is this big technical record, but, you know, the hardcore fans like it. But, I mean, for a general audience, they're just looking at it like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, 15 minutes long, I'm not listening to this. Yeah, and that's the hard thing. Like, like the same thing with 2112 is a fantastic album. 2112 Overture? 
that's a whole side of a record. Oh my it's god. It's very technical and very intricate. Yes, it is. Very intricate. I don't have time to really appreciate it. Yeah, I ain't got no time for that. Yeah, and like that's the thing is like a lot of the that's the thing is like the nice thing about the riffing it's like you could kind of turn your brain off for that part. Yeah, and that was the one thing I really liked about the new Rammstein record is that you can tell it's Rammstein for sure, but they had some really interesting things that they were doing. Like they had their song Radio that sounds like Kraftwerk a little bit. It's kind of an oh. interesting tune. Um, I can't remember the name of the song off. I think it's called uh, Auslander. It kind of sounds like if, going back to like I was saying about Swedish House Mafia and some of these electronic acts, imagine if Rammstein tried to write one of their songs. Oh. Yeah, and they applied a heavy guitar riff to it. It's it's kind of fucking cool, actually. I might go check yeah. it out later on. Does it have kind of, so it's like kind of a like a modern classic rock sound with like that heavy industrial. No, it kind of has like what EDM artists are doing with the really strong beats and the synth sounds and all that cool stuff. Oh, it, okay, it's pretty fucking cool. That does sound pretty cool. Yeah, we well, got really far. Yes, we did, and we actually got way off track because. I don't know. I mean, we don't have any more games to talk about. We don't have any notes to comment on unless you want to add something before we head into the close. Uh, do we start a Babcock Gets Fired pool yet? Or is Cody CC or is like Cody CC not a big enough thing to tie the Senators to the Leafs? Oh my god, you know what? I really hope for next week's episode I finally get to break out the year fired. It's only been 20 games, so it's not like it ha it, you've been deprived. I know, but even last year, like, we were how many episodes in before we got the first firing of the season? Actually, not that many. Yeah. Yeah, someone got canned really quick last year, and I can't remember who. Was it, the, it wasn't the guy from Minnesota, was it? I don't think it was. I, no, uh, EO got fired a, a few years ago. Uh... No one got fired in St. Who got fired first last year? It was fast, too. I don't know. Oh! It was uh, Edmonton. Oh, yes. Yes, it was. They brought in Hitch. Fuck, that's right. They did bring in Hitch last year. No, the nuts one was, uh, like, talk about fast firing. Benton getting dumped by Minnesota. Well, in fairness, Tim, I mean, when you trade Nito Niedemeyer uh, for... Yeah, Visker Rask? Like, are you fucking serious? Like, are you expecting to keep your job? Yeah, well, he kept his job for a few more months. That's something. That's true. So, Tim, I guess that we should just head on into the close for another episode, eh, bud? Sounds good, my friend. Cool. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find all our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m 901 honeybadger and I'm at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8, W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the news stories we talked about on top of the hour the four games we talked about, or you want to give me shit for thinking Rammstein's record was better than Tool's record in 2019, shoot me an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, next week, we actually had a bit of a break because we're not talking about four games. We're only talking about three games. Maybe I'll have time to watch them all. 
So, for the, the week to come, we've got three games on the schedule. We've got Tuesday night, we are playing the Red Wings in Detroit. Wednesday, we're in Montreal to play Le Canadien. And Friday, we are back at home to play the Breadman, DJ Zibby, and the New York Rangers. I'm hoping for an 0-3 week, because that would make the standings really funny. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. This has been Tim Chatsy. Go Sands, guys.